are excited to be together and excited to be continuing working through 1 Peter this morning. We're going to be in 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. So if you have your Bibles, which I encourage you to bring, or your apps, please uh, get those up and ready. We're going to stand in just a minute as we read this text. Uh, but as we get ready for that, I do want to let you guys know um, we are in, obviously, an interesting season. And we are in a time of of growing, rebuilding. We are in a time where we desperately need to continue to seek God's face. And uh, like uh, Kathleen shared, we have our online prayer at 12 on Tuesdays. Uh, in a couple weeks, we're also going to start an in-person at 645 prayer opportunity. We're going to give you more information about that uh, at our family meeting. But our hope is to have that line up along with some things during Lent, uh, as well as we know that one of the things that we want to see is, is that if God is going to continue to grow and build us as a church, uh, we need to grow in the area of prayer. And so if you're not able to make it in person at 645, we'll be outside in space. Uh, but if you're not able to make it in, uh, in person, we invite you, make it a point from 12 to 1230 on Tuesday. Just put it on your calendar. We are pretty good about the time. I say pretty good because sometimes it flexes to 1235 or 1240. Uh, but uh, we want to make sure that we're creating spaces for each other to engage with prayer together. So, okay, with that, I know we've been up, down, up, down, up, down, uh, but that is okay. I would love us to stand for the reading of God's word together. So if you would, remember as we come to the word, we come underneath it. We are not above it. We are under God's word together, and it's in him and who we submit ourselves to. And so as we stand, we do this in reverence of God and his word together. And so this is the text for us this morning. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for the judgment to begin at the household of God, and it begins with us. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we, we submit ourselves to your word. We ask that you teach us this morning. And even now, God, we just are, we're so thankful for how pertinent your word is. We've said this many times, but we know that we did not plan to go through First Peter with our current situation in mind, but Father, you did. And so you knew that we'd be walking through this text in this exact moment, and so we asked Jesus that you'd meet us here. We submit ourselves to you, be glorified in this place. God, would you speak through me for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So awesome, awesome passage to be back together in, right? Really just feels so uplifting, right, as we're, we're starting. But Peter here, he's winding down his first letter to the churches in Asia Minor. We've been able to tell so far his amazing love for the church and the churches there. And I think one of the things that we see, and, and, and I think it's a little bit helpful as we look at this passage, I, I like to view Peter in this section like a really good coach. I grew up playing baseball and basketball. I, my, I had one coach in particular that was great through, I had a number of really good ones, but there was one in particular, Coach Mike, uh, who was phenomenal. He was present. Uh, he threw the ball hard at us, sometimes even hit us, uh, not with his fist, with the ball. Um, but he was a good coach, and the reason he was a good coach was, was because he didn't sugarcoat what we were to expect. He was honest about the, the, the type of players that we would come against. He was honest about potentially even some of the dirty moves that might come our way. He was honest about the need to play hard, to finish hard, no matter what the circumstance. And so I think Peter actually, it's kind of helpful to look at Peter in this section as a really, really good coach. That even though perhaps the people he's writing to are a little bit gassed and tired, maybe even a little bit frustrated, that they can rejoice to encourage them to let them know that they're playing a good game and to not be surprised when the other team is going to try and do anything possible to win. Even if it includes taking cheap shots, hurting somebody, or like Karate Kid sweeping the leg. Right? You guys are all Cobra Kai fans, I'm sure. (laughs) Peter starts, Don't be surprised by the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Peter's helping his listeners have a proper mindset here. Don't be surprised or caught off guard when fiery trials come your way. Peter in 1 Peter has already warned about various trials. These trials that he's warning about in particular are more intense. These are potentially uh, a little bit more in your face. These are most likely there are some churches in Asia Minor that have already experienced first fierce persecution, whether it's physical harm or job loss or social isolation or social rejection. This is a little bit beyond the various trials that he's talked about before. But nevertheless, he puts it really clear. Don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes. or when the And here, Peter does a really good job, I think, laying out expectation. Expectations are really, really important for people. How many of you have had uh, some sort of uh, issue relationally with somebody because of missed expectation? Anybody? (laughs) Whoa. Yikes. (laughs) Expectations matter a lot. Whether you're married or whether or not you're in roommate relationships, not only do expectations matter for succeeding, what's shocking is how much pain comes as a result of missed expectations. Sometimes some of the most accidentally painful moments in life, sometimes they're not even 
because someone has done something in particular wrong to you, oftentimes it's because there's a missed expectation. And I love what Peter does here. He puts out the expectation up front. He doesn't shy away. Some of you, I'm sure, are Office fans. Um, There are a couple incredibly uncomfortable moments in the office. And there's one that comes to mind in particular for me when it comes to missed expectations. There's Kelly Kapoor's, her family's throwing a fest. They're celebrating the festival of Diwali. And uh, Michael Scott is dating this new woman, Carol. Uh, and he lets Carol know that at this festival, it's going to be a costume party. And so Carol decides to dress up as a cheerleader. Well, as she enters the room, she recognizes that it's not a costume party, but everybody's just dressed up in normal, not normal, they're dressed up in uh, what would be expected for casual, not casual, but specific Dwali festival. So in classic East Indian garb. And here, Michael and his girlfriend walk into this party and she's dressed up as a cheerleader and she's mortified. She's, she's mortified. Michael has this weird like little thing on his shoulder and he, as he walks in, he's able to like rip the thing off. So he looks like he's dressed normal, but here she is. Everybody else has their saris on and she's sitting here in her cheerleading outfit. The expectation was that everybody else would be dressed up like she was. But as she walked into this specific setting, she walked in and all of a sudden felt like a fool, felt hurt, felt deceived, felt even betrayed by Michael. I share this story because expectations matter. When expectations are missed, lots of pain can ensue. And so we love that Peter whether or not we like the expectation that's being put in front of us or not is a whole nother question. But Peter doesn't hold back. Here, Peter provides clear expectations for the church in Asia Minor and for all who follow Jesus today. Expect trial. Expect hardship. Expect testing. I know that may not sound amazing, especially right now, but this is helpful. How many people in our spheres, close or far, have freaked out recently? Being shocked that perhaps things feel differently than they thought they ought. If we can take away the shock value, we lessen the power of whatever might come our way. And this is what Peter's trying to do. Peter says, expect it. Don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes your way as though something strange were happening to you. Something strange isn't happening to you. Peter says, this is what's to be expected in a life of following after Jesus. Expect them when they come. And as they come, they they come to test you. This could be strange. So who's doing the testing? Is God testing you? Is someone else testing you? What's happening here? This is important for us to see. And James reminds us that God does not tempt anyone. But God does allow us to go through hardship in life to refine us and shape us. 
Remember here, Peter's winding down his letter, and it's helpful for us as we get towards the end of letters to take a peek back. This is just as, as you study and read on your own or as you go through things, this is a good reminder. As you are reading through Scripture, as you are getting towards the end of a book, I encourage you, make sure to go back to chapter 1 of that book. Because when you go back to chapter 1, you are going to get a better understanding of what the author's original intent was. And we see this in 1 Peter 1, 6-7. through 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. Excuse me, I skipped a line. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Here at the beginning of chapter 1, we help see Peter's desire for his listeners and for those of us today. That as we go through various trials, that we are tested. That our faith is like the song that we sung. As we face hardship and as the world starts to swirl around us, do we grab hold of that rope in which we tug on and we hold tightly unto Jesus? Or do we let go of the rope and do we look around to our left and to our right and those around us, those screaming, yelling, and declaring whatever they might? When suffering comes, when various trials come our way, they are tools in which God uses to help refine his sons and daughters. Let's keep going. Rejoice as you share in Christ's suffering, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So this isn't rejoicing in suffering for suffering's sake, and we'll get to unfortunate suffering uh, for being a fool in a minute. But this is legitimately suffering as a chosen people, like we see in 1 Peter 2.9. That we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The suffering that Peter is talking about is you are suffering as a direct result of your allegiance to Jesus. Peter's saying, rejoice in your suffering. In essence, it marks as a proof, actually, that you belong to him. You see, we live in a very different culture and time in which this was originally written, in which Peter was writing this into uh, Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. There was this massive honor, shame culture, and there also was this incessant need to pledge your allegiance to the emperor of Rome. And any unwillingness to do so would result in some sort of persecution. Not only that, but because honor and shame were such a big deal in this culture, as people became Christians and followers of Jesus, many lost their job, whether they were idol makers who were creating idols for people to have in their home, or whether their bosses were just upset that they were no longer pledging allegiance to Rome 
Instead, they were pledging allegiance to this strange guy named Jesus. In the culture in which Peter's writing, following Jesus had a socio and sometimes economic even impact. But here in our culture, there are many who add Jesus to their identity like, I don't know, like it's nothing or like it's an add-on to life, not the core of who we are. All throughout this passage, we are going to see that Peter is saying that your relationship with Jesus, with Jesus being the center, it impacts everything that you do and every way that you live, and it ought to have some sort of impact on others around you. So Peter says, rejoice in your suffering. Not because you got spit on or beat up, but rejoice in that suffering because you're, you're suffering because Jesus is real in your life. Nowhere in Scripture do we see a push to search out suffering. The Great Commission isn't going to all the world and suffer all over the place and people will know you're my disciples. The Great Commission is, no, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Go, therefore, into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And, lo, I will be with you to the very end of the age. What Peter's highlighting is that as followers of Jesus, suffering is to be expected. Why? Because you say that the one that you worship, adore, and live your life after is Jesus and nothing else. Additionally, what we see here is that there is a genuine battle going on. There is the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of darkness or Satan. As we see in chapter 5 next week, that the devil, he roams around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. In Ephesians 6, it goes very much hand in hand with what we're talking about here when it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is why Peter says, don't be surprised when fiery trials come. Just as the kingdom of God is real, so is the domain of darkness. And we must keep this in mind as we live in this in-between time of Jesus ascending into heaven and him not yet returning yet. Expect suffering. Look at this, verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Or it could be translated, happy is the one who is insulted for the name of Christ. Similar to what Jesus talks about in the Beatitudes as well in Matthew chapter 5. If you are genuinely insulted because of Jesus, you are blessed, you are happy. But why are you blessed? Why are you happy if, if you're insulted because of Jesus? 
I, I don't know, is this like some weird masochistic thing that's going on? You get a small picture of this in Acts after the guys get beat up for properly proclaiming Jesus over and over again. They say, don't do this, don't do that. And they're basically like, okay, we won't do that or that. However, we can't stop proclaiming Jesus. And they keep getting beat up as a result. And they rejoice in that. But they don't rejoice because they're getting beat up. They rejoice because Jesus is visible in their life. You are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. You're not blessed because you are beat up. You're blessed because the God of the universe resides in you. You are blessed because Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of God. You are blessed because though your sins were scarlet, they have now been made white as snow. And not only has he made your sins white as snow, he said, I'll go further than that. I won't leave you as orphans. Remember, lo, I will be with you till the very end of the age. And so what has he done? He's given up his his Holy Spirit, who is our deposit, our guarantee, who resides on us. And so when Peter says... Blessed are you when you're persecuted. He's like, guess what? That's a validation that the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Friends, it's very easy to let go of that rope sometimes. Which is why Peter also reminds us not to suffer for wrong reasons. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. This feels relatively straightforward, right? Like, I don't think there's anybody that's going to disagree that we shouldn't suffer as Christians. Nobody should be a murderer like that. It's kind of like, I think we get that sort of in like really early on. We probably shouldn't murder each other, right? We shouldn't suffer for that. You shouldn't suffer for being a thief. Again, relatively straightforward, don't steal things. You shouldn't suffer for being an evildoer. But there's one word on this list that I I think I wish would have been left out. Nor should you suffer for being a meddler. Does that seem to fit on the same scale as murder? (laughs) Seems like things might be blown out of proportion a bit, right? But hold on here. We have to be consistent. It's like, yeah, sure, no murder. Sure, no stealing. Sure, sure, no evil doing. What about meddling? Well, that's my right. Didn't Peter know what was going to happen 2,000 years later? Didn't he know about this neat thing called Facebook? Didn't he know about this neat thing called year called 2020? If you're not meddling, you're not doing your job. So it would seem. But friends, I I actually believe this is a prophetic moment for the church, and I love how we get to see God's word prophetically speak in, even though it was written over 2,000 years ago. You guys, we have to recognize that meddling is of the devil. It is of the kingdom of darkness. It is not the way of the people of God.
It was interesting with our community group this week. If you're not in a community group, we really encourage you to talk, get in a community group. Our community groups work through the passage of Scripture that we're going to be teaching on the upcoming Sunday. We were walking through this passage, and man, we, this, this meddling section... Just to be clear, meddling, it's an officious, uh, it's an annoying person who interferes with others. Unwelcome person, a person who for some reason is not wanted or welcome. And a good example of this potentially is a backseat driver. But it was interesting with our community group, there wasn't a single one of us who were not guilty of meddling. But you know, maybe the sad part, there wasn't also this weird urgency to immediately repent of meddling either. I know I was joking a little bit about Facebook and social media, but these things are meddling factories. I know the majority of us say, like, we're on there to, like, stay in touch with our friends and, like, we're on there to, like, see cool, cool videos. And that might be the pure and honest thing. But, I mean, at least I'll be honest with you. I haven't posted a thing on Facebook over the last year and a half, probably. I'm pretty boring. But you know what I do a lot? I'm just going to be honest. I meddle the heck out of people on Facebook. I... Look at what other people write. I always lovingly agree with their posts and just say amen to every single one of them. Just kidding, I don't. And you guys, I gotta be honest. I, I have not paid attention to this. And, and I believe one of the main reasons this is on here is that when we meddle, we actually... It's, it's so deeply connected to other deep-rooted sins like pride. When we meddle, it is rooted in the reality that you believe you're better than somebody else. When you meddle, it's almost impossible, especially if you do it with somebody, not to the person, uh, you're going to gossip about them, whether it's to your spouse or somebody else. And generally speaking, this will deteriorate relationships in your life. Peter says, you will suffer for meddling. It is to, just as a murderer is going to suffer for murdering, meddling people will suffer because of meddling. It will result in loss of relationship. It will also most likely result in you developing homogenous relationships with people around you who are just like you. The problem is, that's not what the kingdom of God looks like. Where every tongue, tribe, and nation will come and bow at the feet of Jesus. And so friends, I I want to encourage us, as I don't think I need to challenge too many of you not to murder, probably not too many of you not to steal, But would we take God's word seriously? Remember, we come underneath God's word. If meddling exists in your life, in fact, actually, I'm not even going to do that. We're going to stop right now. And we're going to pray unless somebody really thinks I ought to stop. And even though I I don't think so, uh, I, I think we need to confess. 
You can join. I can't confess for you, but I will lead us in it. Father, we come to you and we are so grateful for your word. We're grateful for the opportunity that your Holy Spirit actually dwells in us. And Father, I just, I believe that we would be foolish to not stop and pause right here, right now. And confess, even the spirit of meddling that exists within our community. And most likely even with each of us. So I encourage you right now in this moment that if meddling is an issue that you have been struggling with, I invite you to confess it in the quietness of your own heart. With something like this, Lord, I confess that I struggle with meddling. I agree with you that meddling is a sin and it is destructive. And as a son and daughter of Jesus, this is not how you've called us to live. You have called us to speak life. So I agree with you about that sin. And Lord, we turn from it. And through your spirit, would you help protect us from falling back into those patterns? Thank you for your forgiveness and thank you for your mercy. To you be glory, honor, and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This can probably lead to the, the next point uh, for us where Peter goes on to say, I'm going to skip forward, judgment is to begin at the household of God. For it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let us who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. In this section, we could go all over over the place, and people have, as they've tried to interpret Scripture, We could dive into the need for the church to judge each other, which Scripture does talk about, especially in 2 Corinthians, that we will have a point where we stand before Jesus, even though we do not have to be scared like we learned last week. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but each follower of Jesus will have to give an account as to how they lived their lives. Jesus reflected this and reminded us of this with the parable of the tenants. What do we do with the things that have been entrusted to us? However, that's not what Peter's talking about here. Here. All of this is in context to the fiery trial, to the testing. It's in connection with the context, as we saw last week, that the end of all things is at hand in verse 7. So those that he's writing to, that they would have they would understand that since we are in the last days, that, that this testing that is coming, these fiery trials that are coming, even if they are not uh, started by God, even if God is not the one who is actually doing the action of bringing these against us, if they're coming from the domain of darkness or they're coming from our own selves or if they're coming from the world, God is using them as a form of testing. As these fiery trials come our way, they serve as a means in which the people of God are refined like silver or gold. This is the judgment that Peter is referring to here. 
How are the people of God going to respond when the trial comes our way? Will we continue to obey the gospel of God or will we turn aside? Peter's call is for all who follow Jesus and call themselves Christian to suffer according to God's will. Be willing to suffer for following Jesus. In the verse right before this, it it says to again something very similar that we ought to rejoice if we suffer for Jesus, if you are called Christian. Uh, and that term Christian is a unique one. It's actually only used three times in all of Scripture. And what it means is little Christ. It basically was used as an insult, actually. People who saw Christians, they would walk around and they would make fun of them and they would be like, what are you, some little Christ sort of thing? And Peter's like, heck yes, if somebody thinks you're like a, a version of Jesus, like not claiming to be Jesus, but you, you're, you're following him enough that people are like, you're a little Jesus? Like wear that like a badge of honor. If you're going to suffer, suffer because you're following Jesus. As we engage with hardship and trial that come our way, our job is not to pursue the suffering. It's our job to do our best to live as a follower of Jesus, to be obedient to him no matter what, and to entrust our souls to our faithful creator. Are we willing to regularly Entrust our souls to the faithful one. And in the midst of it all, we're to keep doing good. Even in the midst of the hardship, even in the midst of the trial, we are to keep doing good. This brings us back to last week in which we're called to pray sober-mindedly, to love earnestly, to practice hospitality, and to use our gifts to bless others in the household of God and even those outside. Even in the midst of the fiery trial, he calls followers of Jesus to not cease in doing good. Galatians reminds us of this too, to not grow weary in doing good, friends. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared for us in advance. Friends, right here, right now, depending on your current circumstance, whether you're in a fiery trial or you're in a time of prosperity, God has good works for you right now to step into. Some of them are massive and some of them are really small. Some of them, maybe if you were like me growing up as a kid, it could start with you simply taking out the trash without being asked. I shouldn't lie. That's not even when I was a kid. That's still now, too. These good works aren't necessarily these massive things. They can be. But it starts in the small. Oftentimes, and it starts in the private. Will we continue to entrust our souls to our faithful creator and keep doing good? Friends, we can't do this on our own. We need to do this together. I'm so glad that we're together while we're sharing this message as best we can be. Because this is hard. Let us not be surprised, friends. 
Let's not give the world, the enemy, or whoever the, the shock value of our, us being totally surprised when somebody is trying to do something that isn't in line with the kingdom. Peter says that is to be expected. And in fact, there's a great chance that more restrictions or more things might come our way that it might make it more challenging to be a follower of Jesus. That's possible. Even if that does happen, none of this changes. We have the opportunity right here, right now, today, and tomorrow if we get it, to entrust our souls to our faithful creator and to keep doing good. My hope, friends, is that we can do this together, that we wouldn't try and go at this alone, that we would regularly have a good picture and understanding of who Jesus is and that we would sit under his word and that as those trials come our way, when God brings things to the surface, that we would confess, repent, and turn for the sake of those around us who do not yet know him.